0: Psychologically, and this is one reason why my protagonists are, are essentially what, what, what's called antiheroes. They're they're almost losers
1: in a way, you know. And yet, you know, I, I try to equip them with certain qualities by which they can survive. But I'm equipping people to survive who
0: are not in charge of the situation. I mean, they're people who are essentially victims of the situation and and victims through through weakness, uh, not victims through the malice of other people.
1: But victims through their own weakness.
2: Heads, like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from plowman's planet to your brain hole if you are listening to this podcast then it's clear you don't have enough weight in your bed and we have invaded your dreams so the galactic popular is our book today anywho um anthony who are you what
1: oh you yeah <clears throat> yeah so uh i'm anthony trevino i'm the co-host of this here podcast um uh, I'm also a film critic and weird fiction writer.
2: All right. Uh, Langhorn.
0: And I'm Langhorn J. Tweed.
2: And I'm David Agredoff, author of Goddamn Killing Machines and Ring of Fire, the Splatterpunk Award nominated Ring of Fire. Uh, so thank you for joining us on the Dickheads podcast. We are almost done with the 60s, folks. So, we're, we're getting to the very end. but Which means we, I'm
1: about ready to strap on my bell bottoms, put on a Paisley shirt that I definitely already own.
2: <laughs> so, and I do have three items of PKD news, starting with, of course, he's still not with us, um, but uh, the first thing was there was an article from ComingSoon.net, which is a pretty popular movie um, website that had um, a soapbox essay article about the sci-fi novel that inspired The Matrix, Inception, and WandaVision, and it was all about Ubik, which we just uh, did covered last month. And so I thought it was good that this article was giving props to our boy Philly uh, for the you know, and like one of the things, um, one of the things that's great about that is that, um, that they're giving this credit to it is because a lot of times now, if you were to do a Ubik movie, a lot of people would say, Oh, it kind of, it rips off inception and and the matrix when of course we know, and this happened to, um, stir of echoes in 1999, which came out a few months after the sixth sense.
0: Right. Well, the movie did
2: the movie did. And, um, the novel was written in the 50s, so,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Richard Madison there. did not travel like back in the farthest. Cribbing more off of William Gibson's work than PKD's work, though.
2: Oh, uh, WandaVision? I mean, so they, the they got their
1: ideas from
0: everywhere. I mean, you can't, I don't think you can nail it down to one thing. They're all over the place in that movie, in a in a good way. You
2: know? Yeah, and I haven't watched Wandavision. Uh, have either of you watched Wandavision yet? Um, yeah, I've, I've watched it. I yeah. have
1: not watched
0: it. What'd you think? Because it, it is a uh, very PKD-ish idea, right? I uh, yeah, I really like the I like the show. I like the concept. I like the way they they brought it to fruition. Uh, I had some problems with the finale, but whatever. Uh, the the whole idea of bringing the humor in, as an element into the Marvel universe was was well done. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, basically every episode is a sitcom uh, based on a sitcom from the past, and and they they do that beautifully while still giving you the real story. Mm-hmm. It, it plays a lot like a PKD thing or a Twilight Zone thing, or you know.
2: Right, and it's nice to see um, something. That is being called uh, PKD ish. That's not um, like a paranoid, like you know, am yeah. I human? You know, kind yeah, of right. Because there is so much more that you could do with PKD. For example, you could have every, you know, everything in the world be monetized. Is um, a good way to to do PKD, as we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, you don't just have to do what is reality, but um, I know there is a what is reality aspect to Wandavision, but and you um, don't
1: just have to do sci-fi action. That is true.
2: <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, we did get that with a uh,
1: with Adjustment Bureau, your favorite, um, Anthony. So, <laughs> yeah, my favorite of the PKD adaptations, the Adjustment the Adjustment Bureau, a movie that has all the charisma of a spoiled carton of milk.
2: <laughs> all right, we're gonna find out who has That's the, the meanest and hottest take on. You gotta the write news. that down. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So the next article comes from uh, BrooklynVegan.com, and it's uh, which yep. is a website that has a lot of like alternative music stuff too. It's not just veganism stuff, but um, and they had an article about now I've never heard of this artist before, a um, electronic pop artist named Geneva Jacuzzi, who apparently is fairly popular. Um, but her album from 2010, which is apparently Uh, a hit uh, called La Maze, like they were doing a retrospective on this album and she listed her number one influence on this album was PKD. Really? Yeah. And she said, remembering the scene at the end of the never ending story where Bastion is reading the book and screaming, it's not real. It's only a story while windows are blasting open in the crumbling castle in the middle of the void space screams to him for help. That was me when I read Philip K. Dick. It opened the portal to an alternate reality where the songs I wrote already existed for thousands of years. And she said her top three were Ubik three stigmata and do androids dream of electric Sheep?" Okay. And then the last item, and if you uh, search Philip K. Dick news, as I do for this episode, um, there was about 15 articles (laughs) Um, This time about a movie that um, played at the Sundance Film Festival called Glitch in the Matrix, which is a documentary that apparently uses archival footage of PKD. And it's a movie about simulation theory. I have not seen
1: it, but one of us did. Anthony, what can you tell us about Glitch in the Matrix? Well, I've seen the first like half an hour to 40 minutes, because I started watching it while I was doing stuff, and then I had to to pause it, and I have yet to go back to it. But yeah, it's basically a documentary about simulation theory uh, that uses archival footage of Dick uh, speaking, and I I feel like it's a popular talk that Dick's done. The uh, the French one, the one he did in Paris? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. I think that's the only one where he officially did
0: a speech Mm -hmm. specifically about Simulation theory. Yeah.
1: and all the interview, all the people they're interviewing about their kind of simulation theory experiences are all done in these kind of like uh, PC game looking avatars, which I thought was kind of an interesting way to do it. Well, it has got uh, interested. Yeah, I mean, I don't buy into simulation theory, but I certainly love a good uh, I love a good conspiracy theory. So, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, th- this movie and all the articles about it are getting the name pkd out there a lot so that's good and i'm sure that there are plenty of people who will see this documentary and seek out his books that are new so if anybody is new to pkd and are listening to this podcast because of glitch in the matrix drop us a line because i would be interested to know yeah um, how many people find it because you never know i mean with you know i'm i'm kind of witnessing this now as a longtime fan of sarah Pembroke that now that the behind her eyes is on Netflix. It's, it's funny. I'm having all these people like saying like, Hey, didn't you tell me to read her f- <laughs> like, four years ago? And I'm like, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> did But it's just interesting to see how much more just having a TV show
0: out there, you know, puts yeah, it it in the, the view of, of the person. It, it, I mean, it's not the best thing in the world that it it requires a visual element for people to get interested, but Yeah. It works, so.
1: Well, yeah. and just real quick while we're talking about it, while we're talking about A Glitch in the Matrix, uh, if anybody doesn't know, I'm a huge fan of uh, Weird Studies, the podcast that uh, J.F. Martell and Phil Ford do, and they did a discussion about A Glitch in the Matrix, and they also interviewed the filmmakers. So if you're interested in learning more about that, go check out Weird Studies. Yeah,
2: awesome. yeah that's a cool podcast. On that note, um, the Galactic popular Healer came out in 1969. David? What
0: was happening in 19 and 6 and 9?
2: Well, since we've already talked about this year a little bit, I've decided to drill down on the month this book came out in. Oh, cool. Yeah, and this book came out in June of 1969, which is the month that the last episode of the original Star Trek, the original series aired, The Turnabout Intruder, Hmm. aired on uh, June the 7th. Of I believe I believe it was seventh. I could be I could have that date wrong. That same month, the Emmy Awards were given, and Don Adams won an Emmy for Get Smart. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in the month of June, uh, Richard Nixon announced the first 25,000 troop reduction in the country of Vietnam. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the first troop reduction was ordered in. Uh, June of 1969. So that's what was going on the month that the Galactic Pot Healer dropped Yo. So what um, you're saying
1: is that there was a lot of CCR being played in Jeeps in the in the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. There are
2: a lot of sad nerds crying about the cancellation of Star Trek and wa- getting their tears up with copies of Galactic Pot Healer. <laughs> so, yeah. This book was written... Um, from November 3rd of 1967 to February 28th of 1968. So from November to February, just after the uh, PKD's one and only children's book, Nick in the Glimming. 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 Um, and before um, he wrote this book, right before he did a serious proof. Uh, Top to bottom proof of his collection, The Preserving Machine. Really? So that was the next writing project he did
0: after. Oh, that is a sandwich between those two?
2: Yes, between Nick and the Glimung and um, The Preserving Machine. The Glimung of Plowman's Planet was a major character in both books. And so my. Feeling is is that his children's book about the Glamung and Plowman's Planet was one he did not intend to actually release that because it only came out after his death. Right. And so he, um, in this case, recycled so you, the. I think you
0: think the children's book was the byproduct.
2: No, that would that came first. But I think once he got done with that, I think he didn't think he could. My feeling is. Oh, I see what you're saying is that I don't think he thought he could sell that book, and so he took some of the ideas with... And then made, made this... Right. ...thing out of it. Okay. Yeah. And it was published by Berkeley Books in June of 1969, with a hardback edition from the Science Fiction Book Club in April 1970. Wow. So, um... The UK publication came in July of 1971 with a hardback edition, too. So so there's a couple of hardback editions of this out there somewhere there are there are and um the first time the galactic pot healer is mentioned in a letter um from pkd to his agent um scott meredith is dated november 3rd 1967 anthony what did pkd say in this letter
1: dated november 3rd 1967 Here are three signed contracts back to be given to Berkeley Books for their signatures. The contracts are for the outline called the Galactic Pot Healer. Now, I notice that the contracts specify sample chapter and outline form. They do have the outline, of course, but no sample chapter. Therefore, I have written a sample chapter, plus excerpts from other chapters, which you will find included. They total 30 pages and should give Tom Dardis all that he needs. However, if Mr. Dardis will sign the contracts without seeing these 30 pages, then let him do so i. e. you might merely send the contracts back to him retaining the 30 pages in your own office. Then, if he asks for the sample chapter, send him the 30 pages. My reasoning is as follows: He might not like the 30 pages, so if we can get a signature without them, then by all means, let's do so. Pause. I really feel like PKd is here like, or you could just not read it and just sign it anyway. <laughs> Would you not agree? Just by the give way, the money. <laughs> By the way, thanks from the bottom of my heart for this sale. We are almost out of money and couldn't have made it another month and my car got towed again. Uh, <laughs> God bless you. You are the best agent in the world.
2: So, yes, yeah, right uh, you already hit on where
1: you get paid for your for your, sorry, <clears throat> what is this world where you get paid for your fudgin' outlines? So <laughs> I'm right here. Someone paid me for mine.
0: like Stack scripts. That's how it's done nowadays. Yeah, I so, know.
2: Yeah, maybe in a couple of years, dude. Um, keep in mind we're at 20 books in, so they, he's a proven commodity to a degree. I mean, he never had the, you know, and, and a Hugo winner at this point too. So uh, and multiple Nebula awards. So I think that's why he was able to do this. Fair but, enough. Um, I do, I do really like the idea that he's like.
1: I gave myself a Nebula award and a Hugo in my dreams. Does that count? <laughs> No, it doesn't my oh, book, buddy. It doesn't. Thank you. Book. Thank you, Larry, for lifting me up.
0: <laughs> Go ahead, David. I'm so, the wind beneath your wings, buddy.
2: So, I do I you already hit upon what what I was why I thought this quote was really kind of hilarious is because he is really trying to encourage the idea like, "Hey, you don't need to look at this outline. Just just <laughs> sign the freaking contract because I don't know and I have never I haven't seen this outline yet. I don't know if this outline exists. I looked for it a little bit. I couldn't find it. And um, we often know that, especially like, for example, with Zap Gun, the outline and the finished product are very different from each other. And I'm imagining that's the case because of the quote we'll eventually see from Tim Powers. Um, I don't think he was following the outline
0: when he wrote this book. Um, Really? It it reads like it was written from an outline, though.
1: Yeah, well, we'll... see what Tim Powers said. I actually kind of like that about it. That's part of partially why I was able to blow through it in two days. Yeah. Um, and okay,
2: so I like that he says, you know, we're almost out of money. Like, you're the best agent in the world. It, it's kind of funny to see him like, be like, yo, um, we were almost out, which of course um, uh, when we talked to uh, hmm. Tessa about him saying comments like this at the time, she kept saying um, he had very expensive wives earlier on in his life.
1: You too um, can hear my interview with Tessa Dick here on the Dickheads podcast in previous sure. episodes.
2: Yes, and uh, but any, anyways, that there, I don't think there's anything more to break down about that that quote. I think it's um it does show what we were working with. We started well, with an outline, how much of it he followed or didn't follow.
0: I'm not quite. in the in the Divorcepedia. It says. 68 is when he started using methamphetamines. Okay. I, I assume he, he had used them before in
1: small amounts. Speaking of Dick's Divorceopedia, I've got some spicy lines from this book.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He definitely was... Um, if We're back to divorce or
0: soon-to-be-divorce territory here. Oh, um, you can hear it in the in the tone of the, the yeah, novel. Yeah.
2: Okay, so the next quote um, from
1: PKD, Anthony. I finished the novel for Berkeley Books, the outline for which is called The Galactic Pot Healer. All that is left is doing the final draft, which usually takes me no more than 10 days to two weeks. I can't find my copy of the contract with Berkeley Books, and I am not sure whether the novel is due on the 1st of March or the 15th or the 31st. All I remember is that it's due in March. Could you check over your copy of the contract of Berkeley's and then let me know? If it's due on the 1st, then I'll ask them for two more weeks or until the end of the month, because I have not started this. <laughs> the novel came out quite well, I think. If Berkeley doesn't buy it, I'm sure Doubleday would.
2: All right, so, um, yeah, it, it does seem like he hasn't started or hasn't thought about it, and he's just, like, looking for time. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, well, it does—it it is interesting that he says that it takes him 10 days to two weeks to do a final final draft. I don't know if that's retyping and starting because, you know, this is obviously before word processors. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I it just kind of shows a little under the hood about um, how it took him to, to do those things. Okay. And then um, as far as his reaction, how he felt about Galactic Pot Healer, um, this, is, this is one that he does not have a super high opinion of.
1: One that I vacillate about is Galactic Pot Healer. Sometimes it seems funny to me. Sometimes it seems stupid. Stupid, stupid. Nothing can be said for it. See, Dick Dick feels the way you do, Larry.
2: <laughs> uh, PKD also said in a letter in 1970 to Sandra Measle, or Meisel. Meisel. Galactic,
1: Galactic Pot Healer is minor. Very minor. In fact, I wish I hadn't written it i think though it has one good part oh this is classic dick yeah i didn't like it but you know what i kind of liked it yeah right talk about vacillating (laughs) the section in which ah the hell with it no part of it is any good i was going to say the part where the protagonist is reached by telephone while crouched in a packing crate i sort of hate which pause i love that scene that scene's fucking great oh sorry that scene's friggin great I sort of hate Galactic Pot Healer as well as Zap Gun plus a few more. Roar. Roar. Um Okay.
2: So this is you know, he is not a big fan of this one. He doesn't feel great about it. Um, but we do we do know that there are fans and friends of the show who are big fans. David Gill, um uh noted longtime um PKD blogger, uh he said that this is one of his all-time favorites, and uh, Evan Lampe also considers it his favorite uh, PKD book. Um, so, there are high opinions out there. I know uh, another friend of the show, uh, Mark Conlon, that's his favorite PKD book is Galactic Pie Healer. Hmm. And um, we know Stephen Graham Jones is a big fan of, of Galactic Pie Healer. So, um, Galactic Pie Healer has its fans. I used to have so much respect for those people. <laughs> Well, you, you kind of – you
1: can still. Um, but I, Larry, I don't know if you know this. It's okay for us to all have different opinions. Whatever, hippie, shut up.
2: <laughs> we do have this quote about the writing of the book. That's why it's in this section um, by um, friend of PKD's – close friend of uh, PKD, Tim Powers, who
1: said uh- – whose wife once smoked cigarettes with uh, Larry and I. That's just me humble bragging for once. <laughs> um, uh, oh, he says about, for example, Galactic Pot Healer, that he just winged it and didn't think about it twice, wrote it out fast, and was never in control. But in some ways, that's one of his best books.
2: And we know that uh, science fiction writer oh, um,
1: James Tiptree Jr., a.k.a. Alice Sheldon, um, agreed with Powers... On one occasion, she describes taking Galactic Pot Healer and mailing it to herself after reading the opening pages as the only way to force herself to meet a writing deadline. If The book was in the house; she would have to go on reading it. Yeah. She mailed it to herself. She wouldn't have a to. A little dramatic. It. A little dramatic. I think maybe we right. should exercise some self-control <laughs> and just put the book in a different room. I don't know if I had to pay postage, <laughs> but I love the melodrama, though. That's great. Yeah, I don't know. Do you not
2: yeah. have a trunk of a car <laughs> that you can put it in? Or... I know. Totally. I <laughs> shan't read this book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm currently not... my um, side. Don't so forsake me, Booketh! I must mail you away, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that thine eyes don't take away from my own illustrious projects.
2: Yeah. Um. As far as um tip trees. Quote about popular um, I I find that fascinating, but um, at the same time, uh, it is what it is. Uh, I I think it, it's interesting the idea that w- we're kind of debating whether he de- whether he wrote this book by the outline by the seat of his pants. And um, so what Tim Power is saying here is interesting because he's saying. He's not sure that PKD is being honest about winging it. Yeah, and so it could be that PKD was saying that he was winging it just to make it, because if he if he felt not very confident in the book, maybe he was telling people yeah, he kind was kind of an winging
0: excuse. It.
1: Yeah, but I mean, um, but I book, feel like PKD has that weird relationship with a lot of the books we've read, where he's like conflicted about it, and I I get it, I understand that. Sure. I I've I have a question for you guys, and we can walk down this road a little bit, which is kind of off-topic, but whatever. Um, do you think that that's even doable in 2021? To, like, unless you have a nice nest egg, can you really, like, quit your job and just write full-time? Well, well, there are
0: ways to do that if you do technical writing. Uh, but not, as a as a
1: fiction author, I don't... Yeah, well, don't well I'm not saying, like, well, yeah, because I could quit... My job, right, and then go work for like a, what is those, an essay mill where I write people's essays for like 50 yeah. bucks a pop, or, you know, there's a lot of writers that make their their money writing other things, but I just mean, right. it seems like Dick was only writing fiction, and then he's like, shit, I'm out of money, I gotta go back to work. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I see what you're saying, it,
2: it's a different way of doing it. It's a different um, world. There's it's a different totally. world. Yeah. Totally. And... Certainly there's people there's plenty of writers who write full time and and do it. I mean there's plenty of them, but if it's like, yeah, it's Clive Barker,
1: there's Paul Tremblay. there you yeah, know, right. the these like Stephen various King does yeah. all rights. Yeah, you know, Stephen King, little Stevie K.
0: <laughs> well, okay. but there, there there's there writers, Mallerman. I mean, even even writers that are really popular and are on New York Times bestsellers list. They usually have some kind of teaching job, or yeah. well, yeah, Paul in is a in the field teacher, of writing, but they're right? still working. Paul's Paul's still still. Tim
1: teaching. Lebon went back to work, I think. right? He works at some who does something. Yeah, like
0: no, you know, the whole, I, the I whole think, idea of the the author that sits in their office all day, puffing a pipe and 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 taking uh, you know taking in visitors and and just shooting the shit, I don't think that exists anymore. Well, there are no. Arthur Conan Doyle's anymore.
2: Well, which is one of the things that I've always had a problem with with Stephen King when he talks about outlines being soulless. It's like, well, that's really easy for him to say from his position of privilege, because he doesn't have to work a day job. He doesn't have to like there's no time where he's not going to be able to work on the novel the next day and pick up where he left. off. Right.
0: But he's also a natural talent beyond like the normal person. So,
1: yeah, sure.
0: And um, <laughs> like, that's like Michael Jordan saying, yeah, you don't really have to practice. <laughs>
1: yeah. Practice. All right. Sorry. I got us off track. No, it's Talking good
0: about
2: practice. Um, you, you guys don't even get that reference, but OK. Um, It is time, Larry. For what? <gasps> the story oh, my God. I'm very afraid of this one today. Bink, bonk, bonk.
1: boonk.
2: Rock and roll. Yeah. I'm very worried about this story breakdown today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. as angry. It's going to be funny, funny, and then somebody's going to get mad because he said too many (laughs) F-bombs. And I'm trying to be
0: better. (laughs) They're going to think I didn't get it. (asm) Like, that's their favorite.
1: Barney's ready for this story breakdown. Barney's all over it. So the let's start with
0: um, our dude, Joe, who, again, I was going to look up various uh, different ways to say he's a sad sack, but this pathetic non-entity loser fuck is uh, named Joe Fernwright, and he sits around doing nothing all day, complaining about how he's doing nothing and is supposedly a pot healer although he never heals a a single pot in this entire novel now one pot gets healed I'll, i'll have you know and in fact he breaks a pot that's as far as he gets into cleaning a pot or to uh healing a pot he breaks one and then he builds a shitty one at the end all right so anyway joe fernwright is living in this world where everything is uh Everything costs money. Everything is sucky. Uh, if, you walk, if you walk too slow, you get arrested. It's very much an authoritarian state. And this is worldwide. The world is just a bureaucracy nightmare. And, and Joe is unhappy because he hasn't had a job in seven months. There's been no pots to heal. All the pots have been healed in the world and he starts getting these weird, funky notes that say, Hey, I got a job for you. And he's like, Oh, can't be for me. This must be for somebody else. Nobody would want to heal. Nobody would want to hire me to heal pots because I'm probably not even very good at it compared to other pot healers. But I'm Joe. Everything sucks for me. And so then he's like, Oh, I'm going to take my quarters and I'm going to go and get my. Get my fortune read by Dr. Such and Such, whatever the fuck that thing is. But I'm not really going to do it. I'm just going to hand out my quarters because nothing is good for me. All right. Anyway, I'm not going to do that voice anymore. But Joe is just a pathetic fucking piece of crap. Uh, and he, anyway, so he, he gets all these notes. He finally is like, oh, maybe I'll do that job. But before he can do that, he, he tries to bribe a cop with a quarter, gets arrested, sent down to the station, and finally gets a bre- uh, he's getting arrested, getting booked, all that shit, and then poof, he's out of the police station and in a box where he's a guest been hired by Glimung, the Glimung. I I don't know if there's I guess that's it. It's a species, a name, everything you need to know is just held in that glimmer. And it's really great because he's he's trapped in this box and he hears this voice and it's a radio program and he magically has a phone in his hand and he's talking to the, the radio program guy who's Funky Bill or some shit like that. cares? And then he he's being let out of the box. He gets out of the box and a record player is is doing the voice of the glimmong, who's this, you know, water, fire, little girl kind of deal, dealio thingy. Says, hey, you got the job. Everything's cool. And Joe's like, oh, I got the job. That sucks. Everything sucks. And then he's on, boom, he's on a, he's leaving the planet. He's on a, uh, on a flight to this little, no nothing world that orbits some other like Rigel 5 or some shit. and 5. Yeah, sure, that one. And then, so he's like, oh, I'm probably going to get there and everything's going to suck because everything sucks for me. And then he sa- he meets this girl and he's oh, she's really attractive. She probably doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And my ex-wife is such a bitch. And she reminds me of my ex-wife because everything sucks. And then, and here's the important thing, folks. If a stewardess says to you, would you like me to lock the lounge door so you and so-and-so can make love? You say yes. All right. So he said, no, I don't. She doesn't like me. And uh, I I'm, I am don't like sex. It's gross. and We're probably just going to be sad anyway. So let's take a test that sees if we're going to be sad. Oh, look, it says we're going to be happy. And then if he's not a fucking sad enough sack, Molly is like, oh, it's not going to work because everything sucks. Ugh, just fucking horrible people. Just like, oh, it's like a, the kids in the hall, the guys that eat worms. They're just awful. All right, so then everybody else on the plane is this, in the same boat. They've been hired. They're at the worst point of their lives, and they're, they want to form a union, which uh, goes nowhere and they're but they're constantly beefing about it well we don't know what's gonna happen i don't even know why i'm on this ship blah 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 i can go back to my sad life anytime i want to and and then you got the glimmer who's this fucking rock and roll Zaphod beep people fucking badass dude that's like hey i'm gonna make you all healthy again we're all gonna do this thing it's gonna be great camaraderie, we'll all be together, and everyone's like, yeah, but are you really going to do that thing? Don't you really just want to take advantage of me? And he's like, no, I really want you to be healthy and better, because look at you, you're a fucking piece of shit right now. Oh, oh, I'm a piece of shit? Well yeah, I, well, yeah, I am a piece of shit, but I don't want to be taken advantage of. And so he's like, all right, well, fucking get to the planet, we'll talk about it. And so they talk about it, and they're like, oh, we got to raise this. We're going to raise this uh, this cathedral, and everything's going to be cool. And they're like, oh, I guess we'll stay and do our jobs for a little while. And then he's like, all right, a little while is probably good enough. At least I got you on board, so let's go go look at it. I'll give you a robot and a fucking apartment, everything you could want in your life. You know, all you have to do is your fucking job. Just do your fucking job. And they're like, nope, not going to do our job. Our main guy, Joe, is like, oh, look at this amazing shop you've given me. All of the things I could have wanted to be a pot healer are here. All the best stuff. Everything a pot healer could want. But then there's this dude that comes in, this alien dude, says, read this book. And, and we found out in the past that the book kind of, you know tells the future and so joe says oh okay i'll read your your little book what section do you want me to read okay if you go underwater you will end up killing your boss and immediately joe says that's the thing i'm going to do because this guy's helping me so much how can i not shoot myself in the ass how could i not want to just fucking ruin everything And then he's like, wow, that's a terrible thought I just had. Man, I should really not go and try to kill my boss. And then uh, one sentence after that, hey, robot dude, how do I go and kill my boss? And then he's getting ready to go down to kill his boss, basically. And uh, he's like, oh, you know, Molly, you can come with me because I'm sure you'll be a fucking cheery presence in this little endeavor. And, of course, she's not. Everything she says is, why are we here? What are we doing? When do we go back? Ugh, this is terrible. You shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. This, everything down here is dead and gross. And then Joe sees his dead self, which is really cool. Like, Joe's dead self is, like, this mangled, like, the legs don't work. Like, they have no bones. And he's sort of, like, this floating, grotesque uh I've, I just pictured it as all pale, everything, like a ghost almost, but it just just little bits of flesh rotting off of it, and it's exposed John. It comes up to him, and and Molly's like, yeah, that's your dead self, and uh, your dead self wants to talk to you. You shouldn't listen to your dead self, and he's like, you're right. That thing is grotesque. I'm totally going to listen to my dead self, and so he listens to his dead self, and his dead self's like, oh, I've been here forever. Everything sucks. Uh, but you need to lift this cathedral and, and not uh, and and not kill your boss. And he's like, Wow, that is really good advice. But look at there's a pot down there that I have to look at. And it says, I should kill my boss. So I'm gonna do that. So then he goes back up, lo and behold, boss comes, gets into a, to a fight with his doppelganger evil self and uh, the glimmung's like oh i got to fight my evil self because you drew me here because you you forced my hand you little bastard and so then there's this fight and everyone's supposed to get off the planet they go they're like oh we're all going to get off the planet joe's like no i'm staying behind cuz i now feel guilty for doing the shit that i shouldn't have done because i'm an asshole and then he luckily he's there saves the day because the Evil doppelganger, black glimung, wins and goes to kill all the people in the in the transport that the leaving the planet on. But Joe is there to call them and say, "Hey, get off that transport because the black glimung is going to kill you all." And they all come back and they're all, like, "Oh, thanks, Joe, you saved our lives by being a dick bag." All right, that's excellent. And then the dead glimung is floating around, floats all the way to shore and goes, just gobbles them all up, and they all become this one singular entity, but they all have their own identity, and then the Glimming's like, "Ha, ah, this was the plan the whole time. We're now going to lift the Citadel or whatever the fuck it is, and everything will be fine. And so they try it, and it doesn't work, and Joe says, should we just wait until you're not half dead anymore? And then, <laughs> so the Glimmings like, yeah, all right, that's a good idea. We'll we'll do that. Joe, you're the best. You're just the best. I know you caused all this, but now you're the best. In fact, you're the best of all of us, fucking Joe. And then so they, they wait. They do it again, and the 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 cathedral turns into a little bitty baby, and uh, we find out that the Glimung is a female sort of, and there's these fog people that don't matter. There's a really cool, like, uh, I consider him a Jamaican rat alien that drives really good and saves everybody. That's pretty cool. And then by the end, they've, uh, so the Citadel is set down on shore and everything is fine. Uh, But everybody decides they want to stay with the Glimmung and become, you know, one, this, this multifaceted legion sort of uh, being and not be alone anymore, except for Joe and this other dude, this cephalopoid guy that's like, all right, I'm going with you, Joe, because you're cool. And so then Joe and the cephalopod guy are are spit out in the middle of the jungle somewhere. And they see a light in the distance and they have a little chat and the the other dude says to Joe, he says, you know what you should do besides all these stupid plans you, you have in your head? You should just stay here and make pots instead of just healing them. So Joe goes, it says, that's a good idea. goes to his fantastic shop, makes a pot and it's terrible. The end.
2: All right. Um, so Larry, when we talk about all these positive things that other people have said or thought about this book, try to contain yourself because there there I did are my some, best yes um so <laughs> as far as the themes that are going on in this book and the ideas um one thing you didn't touch on i was surprised is to me the glomong, uh the glomong, however you want to say it uh, uh is very lovecraftian it's one of the most lovecraftian um stories to me that pkd ever had just the idea of this kind of creature living underneath this cathedral and underwater and having to be lifted. One interesting thing for me was the book that I read right after I read Galactic Pot Healer was Josh Mellerman's House at the Bottom of the Lake. And it was interesting because that, so it was two underwater books in a row. Right. And Josh in his book followed the rules of being underwater very strictly. Whereas like being underwater in the, morse nordstrom or whatever it's called for for pkd here like you could talk and were you really underwater it was really (laughs) kind of just like
0: right It, it it wasn't realistic at all
2: it wasn't realistic at all it was very surreal so so one of the things that you kind of have to accept when you read kind of like molly's
0: accent that turns into perfect english randomly right
1: Honestly, though, I got to that part and I was like, "Ah, oh, I can't with this shit where we just write out exactly how the character is supposed to talk. It's like it's I it's like trying to read the shadow over Innsmouth. Fuck you. I'm it, was, not reading. it was annoying,
0: wasn't it? That... Yeah,
1: it was. Yeah.
2: So the, there's a little bit of I think this novel kind of is such it starts off seeming like a, a very I won't say hard science fiction, but it takes off being more straight science fiction and then just kind of gets more surreal and bananas as it goes, which I think is something that um, I'm sorry, dog's barking. Um, So where it goes and how it gets more surreal seems more up Anthony's alley really um, because I know that's kind of your thing. Um, But I think one of the themes that's here very seriously in this book is Uh, The themes of artistic creation is um, and Kim Stanley Robinson has several quotes here that that talk about this book as being a parable for the struggle of the creative process itself. So, Anthony, could you read that first Kim Stanley Robinson quote?
1: More importantly, in Galactic Pot Healer, another planet serves as the setting for a parable about the struggles of the creative process, but the planet itself is scarcely evoked. In a similar fashion, a maze of death takes place on some poorly realized planet of the mind, in a landscape reminiscent of that traversed by child Roland in Browning's poem.
2: So, um, a lot of what he's saying here is that this 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 idea of the painful creative act is is one of the themes that that he has going on and on page 72 and 73 we have uh, of the Mariner edition we have a part where, where where we're introduced to the idea of this this book that everyone's reading that changes and i think on a daily basis right and i i think what PKD was trying to say there was that this book is almost like something that like slips out of your hands as, as soon as you have it, like the stories and everything that they have. And I think that this is an analogy for how PKD feels about how a lot of the books, like he doesn't even remember writing half of them because he was so juiced up. And later on, he's, he's talking about... So I think that there's a deeper level going on with Galactic Pot Healer as far as that whole idea of the surreal creative nature of what he's creating and what he's doing is like one step beyond like what he has. And I know that might be reading too much into it, but I think that's what Kim Stanley Robinson's trying to evoke. Right there,
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's one way to read it. Another way to read it, which is kind of the way that I read it was your, uh, your talents and abilities being exploited for somebody else's means because the Glimmung basically coerces them into into using their talents to solve its problem, right? right? Like, it's not really offering them anything other than monetary value that doesn't even matter on their own planet. But
0: that's not all he's offering. He's offering he a do. lot, actually. But
1: But are you sure, though? Because really the only motivation here is money and the ability to say... What does he say? He says, ship out to Plowman's planet, Mr. Fernwright, where you are needed. Your life will signify something, i.e. meaning your life will signify raising the cathedral for me. No, no, that's not what that means. It would mean
0: that your life would have value other than just, you would accomplish something
1: other than sitting in a room slowly dying. Well, sure. But you're still he's only giving you this opportunity because it benefits the Glimmen. Mm hmm. And, and the ability okay, for him to then, say, oh, my life actually so matters it, it because is, I accomplished something. But it an artistic so one expression? Way if shut up for a second. Well. Artistic expression can mean different things to different people. If I sit here and write a novel and I and I don't do anything with it, fine. But I still did it. I'm still satisfied with it. I don't need to do it in order to receive this long-standing, like, life signifier. So Damn, Molly committing suicide, how does that? Say that again. You cut out. Mo- molly committing suicide
0: what about it so he's he's actually the glimming is saving her from killing
1: herself sure but, she's but that still is only for, for her in that instance him. my point is is that the glimming still wants them to do something for it sure it's not it's not a full altruistic is what you're... right yeah it's not an altruistic entity i'm yeah. just saying that's another thing I, I agree <laughs> with you <laughs>
2: Well, and one thing that Kim Stanley Robinson said in, in his paper was, um, you know, the idea that Joe Fernwright is there to repair broken pots in a sunken cathedral—a humble task, but one the alien considers as important as any other task in the struggle. Here, Dick emphasizes again the concern for and the valorization of manual workers who have filled his story. So it's that working class thing that we've seen, you know, and that's I think a parallel to what we see in the beginning of the book on earth where inflation and capitalism is, you know, devaluing everything that or monetizing.
0: Right. Everything,
2: everything. And, 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 and to a ridiculous sense that if you don't have enough weight on your bed at night, you're going to get ads in your dreams, right? Which is one of the the, the coolest-
0: Propaganda in, in your dream.
2: Yeah, you're gonna get all that in there. And um, so I do think that the, there's a parallel with that. Let's talk about a little bit about that, um, about the um, out of control in, in um, inflation in this world, because that is that is the thing that is most defining about earth in this future. Um, is the lack of value of anything, the lack of value of anything You pay for everything. But the, the money is lost its value on page
0: four on a daily basis.
2: Yeah. Um, everyone did it. Everyone had to Holding on to government notes for even 24 hours was a self-imposed disaster, a kind of mortal suicide. Roughly in two days, government money dropped 80% and it's redemptive power. Um, and then, um, but yeah, I mean, th- that just shows you like how out of control the money, uh, situation is
0: yeah, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's unsustainable, but it's hilarious that that that's the, the thing I back in the, the mid nineties, uh, this is right before I worked for the La Jolla playhouse, but right before I worked there, they were slowly going out of business and so everybody that worked there on payday, everyone would rush to the bank to cash their check because if you were too late in trying to cash your check, you wouldn't get your money. That's how bad it was at, at that place at that time. And this sounds like the exact same thing. It's not so far outside of, of reality that you know the that you you will find that the everything all your government earned stuff loses value entirely.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and there's this fake reality, the 3d projection of, of California outside his Cleveland department, which he can't afford, which he can't, <laughs> which of course he can't afford. Um, it is, is a funny thing, but then you have the scene on page 18 where we get that kind of reverse of the money situation where, and this is very on the nose, so I can see why this might bug you, Larry. But the um, where he gets the note that says, I will pay you 35,000 crumbles. And it says, what in God's name is a crumble? And um, this made me laugh. This whole scene um, where he calls up the dictionary, and he only gets a certain number of calls to the dictionary a day. And, you know, I, I know I said yeah, I'm
0: – That's great.
2: Yeah, and I know I said on Facebook um, the day I read this part where I said, um, yes, you will not be surprised in Galactic Healer, that you have to call a dictionary. And, of course, in Philip K. Dick's world, the guy is getting divorced and doesn't have money to pay for the dictionary, of course. Um, But I love this whole scene with what's a crumble on Sirius 5 and the Plapkian tongue crumble is a monetary unit. And then he gets like part of the information. And I know saying that this money is called a crumble when the money is worthless it is very on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think it's funny. And then on page 19 is where we have the, the scene with the, with the dream, the, the, as he puts it, the damn dream circuit. Um, and I love the bed saying, I love this scene. It's very funny. <clears throat> you weigh 140 pounds. The bed said, and that and there is exactly that weight extended over me therefore you are not engaged in copulation the mechanicism voided his throwing of the sleep toggle switch at the same time the baguette began to warm up the heating coils in it blatantly glowed beneath him and this is my favorite part he could not argue with an angry bed <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that stuff
0: um, yeah it's very uh, Douglas Adams I, I mean that's why I that's why I mentioned Zeph on Beeblebrox. This is just there's so much of that that sort of dry wit in there. I love I love all that stuff.
2: Well, yes, and then on page 24 there's, of the Mariner edition, there's a great scene where the um, the dictionary sends out an investigator because he's like, well, if you're making that much in crumble, it's got to be illegal.
0: Right, and I there's love no Joe other saying. way you can make that much.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then Joe says maybe there's a hell of a lot of broken pots on Sirius Five. <laughs> great line. Um, and I did notice here that when we talks to the robot, it says, "Dear sir or madam." So we got a sir or madam. Do we put "sir or madam" said by a computer to the level of con app or sigh uh, or um
0: precog? Oh, used that was used all the time back then. Okay. I, I and then think, how mail came At least they, even when we were kids That's how mail came Dear Sir or Madam
2: Right okay um, But uh, yeah, Switch to occupant <laughs> Right like and like so Before happening all over again um, And then there's um, I did like There's a on page 35 There's a scene that relates to the Capitalism and inflation thing Where um. Uh, there's the line, any sane man doesn't start handing out coins to total strangers. Um, I liked that line. So I think that there's a lot of really interesting funny things going on here. And the last thing I would say on the money front is on 152, there's a line about how, about um, the taxes on Plowman Planet. Yeah, right. planet.
0: So how the driver knows how to avoid the tax man.
2: Yeah, uh, Palmon's planet has a huge income tax, roughly seventy percent of the earned gross income as an average. So that leads to believe like if you're working for Glomglom, you're gonna only get thirty percent of what what you're earning. So keep that in mind when you're when you're so, talking of, about like the hundred and fifty quadrillion
0: <laughs> crumbles. Yeah, he gets to
2: keep seventy percent of the crumbles. Um, so. Well here's
0: what I like about what Dick has to say about the part that uh, that happens on Earth. Back to overcrowded earth for me with phony money, the vet stole, the empty cubicle where nothing happens, and the game, the goddamn game for the remainder of my life. Yep. That's <laughs> how he described the whole earth section.
2: Right. So, um, but this whole idea of inflation and capitalism and, and how capitalism works is so much a part of the world building on earth. It is a little bit of the Plowman's plan. And we do obviously with that income tax and the high income tax and those kinds of things. But I think underrated in, uh, the analysis that I've seen of galactic Popular is, um, and I know Lampy did talk a little bit about this in his podcast, but, um, but the inflation is a huge part of this book because and capitalism and kind of looking at capitalism and it could be overlooked because this is the thing that Dick does. Everything is monetized in Dick's future. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it
0: was that way in Ubik.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we did two books in a row where everything is monetized and it's down to, you know um, which is funny because, you know, uh, and, and Anthony and I talked about this in the project we're, we're currently working on writing wise is is the ubiquitousness of of advertising. And so we see some of it. We're not having to pay directly for things. But, um, you know, the way advertising is, is getting into things like especially it's it's really common if you listen to music on YouTube or Spotify, if you're not paying for membership or whatever. Right. You know, that you have, like, in the past, you just put on a CD or an album. Uh, now you just, you're, you're so used to ads popping up and skipping ads for YouTube videos and those kinds of things. So we see a little bit of that. I don't think this one is super predictive as far as PKD goes. But
0: Well, I, I mean, it did. There is an actual game you can play where you use Google Translate to translate something into a language, into another language, and then back to English and then try to figure out what it what it is mm-hmm. what the original statement was so that's an actual thing that exists so i mean it's a little thing but the whole the game is real now using google translate
2: um and so this quote also that i have from this archaeologist um bill carher or carraher can you <laughs> i anthony you
1: got that one which it's, one is it? Is it the one that's not labeled? Dick's fascination, Dick's fascination yeah. Dick's fascination with ceramic pots echoes our archaeological dependence on these kinds of objects to establish a kind of authentic reality in our work. Endless catalogs, exempla, and typologies structure so much archaeological knowledge as they form a bridge between the encounter of the archaeologist, or the craft of archaeology, and human actions in the past.
2: Um, and and I, th- I think the, the importance of a pot healer... <laughs> Uh, is one of the things he's kind of getting at. But, um, and how this relates to less the creative thing, but I was thinking that quote is interesting in relation to how, um, you know,
0: Fernwright's job as a popular is monetized. And, well, Molly's job is, I mean, she's got a degree in pulling weeds. So it's not like she's the right <laughs>
2: Uh, so, anything else on the inflation and capitalism thing, um, Anthony? Did you? Uh, how did you feel about what Dick's saying about the working Joe uh, specifically? That no
1: matter what fucking planet you go to, you're going to be straddled with making money and doing work for somebody else and only giving back a pittance of the time and effort you've put in. <laughs> yeah. No matter I mean- where, no matter where you go, no matter how good a thing sounds. It's never really going to be about you. So, so while yes, the Glimmer comes through and takes all these people from these terrible walks of lives and says, "I'm giving you a purpose," but Dick. it's still, but it's still only to benefit my needs. And also, I'm taxing your your crumbles. Give it. So, <laughs> I, I think Dick's- I don't understand your point of view. What's the, o- the other option? Just, there is no other. Know, there is gonna, no other You're option.
0: still going to have that.
1: You're going to have it no matter where problem. you go. But that's still what
0: Dick's saying. No matter what. Yeah, that's kind of stuck, right? What do you mean the voids, Captain?
1: Dick's not providing another option. I think Dick's saying that this is it. You're going. No, I'm asking you specifically. Like, do you think there's another
0: option other than work for someone else and then die?
1: Other than being an entrepreneur, no, not really. And then you flip it. Then you're the one telling people now you work for me, and I don't gotta give you shit. (laughs) <laughs> which is not a stance that I would take personally.
0: Right, because then you lose you lose something else. You sure, lose your humanity in order to be that.
2: There are science fiction novels that that play with the idea of of post capitalism societies and utopias. Um, the ones that first come to mind, obviously, the Void Captain's Tale, which we talked about earlier. Um, And then uh, I was thinking of Always Coming Home and The Dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin are good examples uh, of that. Um, More so Always Coming Home by Le Guin, which is more of a fantasy novel. But anywho, it's very good. Um, uh, So anyways, yeah, I think that wraps that up. Uh, As far as I, I do think that that is one of the hugest and most important themes in that uh, part of the book. Let's talk about Plowman's planet itself and the world building that's going on there.
0: Um, I think it Pl- is kind of like the Little Prince's planet,
2: <laughs> right? Which is not too far off when you consider that it that it was first written about in a children's book or an attempt. Right. At
0: children's oh book. yeah.
2: Um, I love the idea the that held Skellion. The ancient cathedral of the once ruling fog things of Sirius five. Um, that's a great name for. Scala. Yeah. Held Scala. I love the once ruling fog things of Sirius five. That's a great name for, for aliens. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and the once ruling fog things of serious five is definitely one of my favorite things <laughs> in this book. Yeah. Um, the, the intro to the Glamang, uh here is on page 43 of the Mariner edition. Um, and it really starts when, when he, Joe first has his first conversation. And, you know, he's focused on saying, like, hey, why is a pot healer vital? But he's trying to get to know um, this creature. What I liked about the Glimmung is that I thought the Glimmung was, and especially you see some of the covers. There was one great cover that was out there that had like a Lovecraftian tentacly creature like underneath the cathedral. And um, I don't know if I was too influenced by seeing that cover at some point,
0: but yeah, because um, I didn't, I didn't think of it. I didn't think the the Glimmong, uh, was tentacly at all just sort of a blob
2: right and um but it communicates with them uh kind of at all times and can always be there which is like kind of a, a working class nightmare that your boss is, is <laughs> always omnipresent. omnipresent um let's see page 55 has a yeah, Glimmung has the power and nature of a deity. For example, he can manifest himself simultaneously on 10 or 15 planets around the galaxy, yet still remain on Plowman's planet, which is, you know... But hey, in this it doesn't matter because no one does their own work anyway, so... So that's my question, is... He can't get the fucking cathedral off him, but he can, like, project himself
0: to 15 planets? All right. Well, it's, it's more of a problem... It's, it's it's more of an ethereal or problem than that because I think it's it's not just that it's too physically hard to move. It's that the Glimm is just like these other people alone. So it needs this sort of deep camaraderie in order to get the strength to transform the 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 cathedral into the baby so it can be moved. Or to in order to it has to manifest itself entirely in order to make it possible to move and the only way to do that is through this this giant Kumbaya
1: moment right um, it wants you to give up your yourself and your identity to support its own needs yeah yeah what I said
2: about unionizing folks um,
0: which they abandoned
1: yeah
2: yeah but I do think it's a little bit of a unionizing. Like kind of analogy,
0: um, a little bit clumsy. I think that's a little, a little off the mark. It's not because, okay. like Anthony says, it's not for their benefit. Unionizing is for your benefit, for, for the workers' benefit, benefit yeah, not yeah. for the boss's benefit.
2: Um. So the next thing that I have in here that I wanted to talk about is is the ocean itself, the mare,
0: Nor did you guys look it up? I didn't look it up to see if that what that meant, if anything. I can do it now.
2: Yeah, do it now. Um, I like you know, we already kind of talked a little bit about how surreal it is. Um and you could say you could make an argument that on Sirius Five maybe the ocean works differently, you know, but uh the ability to kind of it's like he doesn't even remember that they're underwater through a lot of it. It's just like he just kind of moves on with like whatever is needed next in the story. Um,
0: and so, uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, Marinor Nostrum means uh, "our sea" in Latin. In Latin. That was the the ancient name of the Mediterranean Sea.
2: Oh, well, that's cool, BKD. <laughs> um, but let's... And then the last theme that I really have that I really want to go into with this book is the... Uh, unre- that's
1: what I say to myself every time he starts talking about opera. <laughs> <laughs> classical classical uh, pieces of music. I go, cool, man. And I just... <laughs>
2: Uh, Just scrolling down a little bit, uh, Anthony, to one of the last quotes, which is Stanislaw Lim. The the last major theme that I have in here is the unreality um, and kind of the trip that um, Joe Fernwright goes on
1: once um, he's in the Mare Nordstrom In Galactic Pot Healer, we have to do with a fabulous parable about a sunken cathedral on some planet and about the struggle which takes place between light and darkness over raising it, so that the last semblance of literalness of events vanishes here. For all that Galactic Pot Healer leans toward allegory, it does not adopt this position either unambiguously or definitely, and, and a like indeterminacy as to genre is also characteristic for other novels by Dick."
2: Yeah, so he's basically saying that once this happens,
1: reality is out the window. Um, well, you can also apply the idea that you're on a totally different planet from ours, and yeah. the, all the rules kind of it's a it's a way that you as a writer can skirt around having to over explain everything. It's like reading a fantasy novel, and they're like, all right, so let's really get into the minutia and scientific background of this the, these powers, <laughs> and I'm just like, no, nah, I'm good. No, don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't care. I don't hate that.
2: It's just what I was telling Larry yesterday. That's why in the Star Wars universe, you can be cut in half and live. But if you get sad.
0: Yeah, right. You're, you're going to die. die <laughs> <from> the
2: heartbreak. <laughs> um, you know, the rules are different. I don't make the rules with a galaxy far, far away. You know, Right. We just enforce
1: them. But um, I don't make the rules here. I just break all of them.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so so the reason here, let me let me talk about this. The reason I think it, this is much more uh, following a uh, some kind of outline rather than pantsing is because he the character, Joe, does things that service the plot but don't service the character. The whole idea of going underwater where it's going to affect him adversely doesn't make any sense for him to decide to do it other than – some kind of base curiosity but but the awareness that you are ruining yourself in doing so makes no sense for him to go okay i'll go do that thing that's going to ruin me well i I think a lot of in
1: the back of his head is the given
0: everything that i need to do my job in the best way possible and instead i'm going to ruin everything so uh, what do you think about that anthony
1: I was just going to say that I think part of the part of Joe Fernwright's character is that he's got one foot on either side where he's over here saying exactly what you're saying. But on the other end of the spectrum, he's like, well, in the back of my head, if I don't keep moving forward with this, I have to go back to that goddamn cubicle. Right. Well,
0: if he moves forward with what?
1: If he doesn't move forward
0: with the job. Eventually, he'll finish the job and then have to go back to the
1: cubicle. No, eventually, if he doesn't move forward with the job, or at least try to help the Glimming see its way to it, its... And he has to go back to the job. Realize, realize the Glimming's like, what the fuck am I trying to say? If he's not trying to get to the end of the job and produce what the Glimming wants, which is to raise the cathedral, mm-hmm. then what is the option, right? Go back to the cubicle. But it, it, in, in And then he has to but go then, back... But he, then he's actively working to go back to the cubicle. Because he's, he's, a, he's a fish out of, he's a guy on a different planet trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And no yeah. one said anything, no one said anything about the fact that there's a fucking torch underwater. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: Which I was like, a lot people was. Talking. I was real str- really struggling with that. So, what? <laughs> a torch. There's people
2: talking and torches and all kinds of things that are underwater. It, it, it's torch just, can mean flashlight.
0: So, it could. It could. And yeah. I need I you
1: to at least tell me good. that, I feel like, at least in that instance. I will forgive so much <laughs> crazy shit in a book, but I need you to at least give me a little bit. Yeah, I think it I could I, mean a I, flashlight I think it to me to, to if have that. John problem,
0: Bruner was I immediately writing immediately thought torch meant flashlight. So
2: if John Bruner was writing this, torch meant flashlight, because he's fucking
0: British, but yeah. Phil K. Dick was living in Berkeley. So Yeah, but he does that kind of stuff a lot. That okay. kind of That's right. He spells color with a U. Yeah. Anyway, right. on page 116 is where he talks he, about opera and then talks about hemorrhoid ads. He loves opera. Dick opera loves and hemorrhoids. Loves his classic loves hemorrhoids. Um, on loves flaccid penises. That was my, loves, favorite, uh, that's my favorite. Ad, <laughs> he loves. my favorite
1: ad, though. He loves seafoam blouses uh, for the lady characters. So page, the ad where he's talking about Hartovax.
0: Are you, Ben, are you having a problem with your penis? Try Hardovacs. On
2: page 116 of the Mariner Digit is where we meet um, Joe Ferdright's corpse,
0: which is a great scene. Uh, I love that.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Oh, man. Um, I always say his horror stuff is just top notch. Yeah,
2: and it's blind. He questions, can it see me? Um, it, it, that's a really cool scene.
0: It has that guttural, when it tries to first speak, it's like a weird guttural kind of popping. Ugh. Um,
2: and it takes two pages <laughs> before we find out. Um, when held Ske- Skella is raised from the water, I will go to sleep. I'm waiting to go to sleep. I'm glad you came at last. I have waited centuries until you came here and released me. I am caught in the totality of time. So here again, we're in the bad acid trip of three stigmata. So we're repeating an idea. It's fine. We can do that. But it is this idea that the, the Mare Nordstrom, uh, once you're down under the water, you're experiencing all of time. So it's basically like an LSD ocean. Um, at that point, that's when you figure out that you're in an, an LSD ocean. Um, well, no, this was like, just the prequel to Solaris. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: the... Well, we have Lund's quote on it,
0: so he's, he was thinking about it, so maybe it wasn't influenced. No, it's not that. It's not the Well, acid is different. I think it's more like, a, oh, what is that? Salvia. I think what, what dude was talking about with salvia makes you feel like you're buried in time.
1: time. Yeah, and you experience a weird lapse in time. Uh, yeah. What what was only three minutes for me felt like hours the last time I smoked salvia. So yeah. Yeah, you're a, correct.
0: And LSD is not
1: time elongates, but
0: it doesn't. You don't feel lost in it. Now I'm straight edge, so yeah, straight edge.
2: So. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't a bad trip on acid one that makes you feel like all of eternity is unending. Like I, that was my. Impression. No, not necessarily.
1: Well, I would like to say that I think any bad trip on anything feels like it takes <laughs> fucking lifetimes to yeah, get through. Yeah, I've, like I've having a cold I mean, feels like it takes forever. I've eaten too many edibles and thought this, this. is never ending. <laughs> is never gonna stop. Every yeah. thought I have is never gonna stop running me over like a semi truck. I mean, uh,
0: when I had a bad trip in the back of a police car uh, when I was on acid, it did feel like it took forever, like, just to get out of that police car. But uh, generally, like, uh, I've had bad trips on on mushrooms more than acid, but... I've
1: had all my bad trips are on fucking, like, edibles, on, like, edible cannabis.
0: Weird. (laughs) yeah it's but it doesn't necessarily give you that like like that salvia kind of I I feel like there's a difference there between a bad trip and and that salvia disappearing in time
1: business well you also feel very rooted in place at least for me I was just like sitting but very very unaware of just Mm. like my body I ate four pieces so so it's like something not want to get up that's the closest I yeah
2: um uh, yeah, uh, shout out to Mr. Moto's vegan pizza. So, um, <laughs> they're not a vegan pizza place, but they they make good vegan pizza. So, anywho, Great. I want to talk about I have two last scenes I want to talk about because they're ones that crack me up in this book. I love the scene on page 131 of the Mariner edition. Um, uh, Joe says, Um, I found a pot. And the Glimmin uh the pot lied, the Glimmin shrieked. Forget what it said. Listen to me. Do you understand? And the pot said, or Joe said, the pot only told me. And then Glimmin interrupts him and says, There are a thousand lying pots down there. <laughs> Glimman broke in. Each has a separate false tale to tell anyone who happens to come by and notice it. Um Yeah.
0: So it, I, love it. I there's, mean, there's it's said, he says reality doesn't work down in the ocean so uh, i mean joe believing that one pot over everything else just doesn't make sense that guy's an idiot yeah Um, i mean it makes sense if joe's a total idiot and i'm fully willing to concede that if we're willing to concede that joe is borderline you know moron then i am willing to go with that
1: i think he's just really ignorant I think he's just an ignorant, sad sack office drone with no life experience. Their whole game, to, to pass the time when they're not working, is to just play this stupid game where they quiz each other on titles.
2: Mm-hmm. So, and I just want to do the one other funny scene, and then we can talk about Glimmin' anti glimmin
1: No, nah, I got tons of funny scenes that I want to talk about, so get, get with it.
2: <laughs> okay, so I love on page 161 of the Mariner edition... And he says, uh, Harper Baldwin said to him, "You did it." Yep, Joe said stoically. Any reason the multi-legged gastropod lifts? No, Joe said. Unless you want to count stupidity, I'm ready to count it. Harper Baldwin <laughs> asked. <laughs> okay, Joe said. You
1: do that. <laughs> He's like. I'm willing to cover stupidity. there's a lot of really funny stuff in this book. So, 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 strap in, guys, because I've got things. I've got quotes to say. What made you chuckle? Uh, this where he goes, the bird shot outward. A tremendous velocity, its massive wings flapped with violent rage, and the bird soared, rose, and hovered. It hung in the sky above the sea, shrieking in wild, determined bursts of ear-piercing noise. Cavorting Gary Carnes and his six phones won't help you now. <laughs> yeah, right. Whatever the fuck that means, I don't know. But That's, the, uh, that's the radio host. Oh, that's right. That's right. And I uh, got it now. Whew. Which, by the way, is one of the best scenes in the book.
0: Yeah, the whole... The whole unwrapping.
1: Oh, um, <laughs> unboxing. Another unintentionally. We should
0: funny do an unboxing episode, but it's him.
1: Yeah. Another. Un- this was unintentionally funny. At street level, he straddled a cracked and unrepaired sidewalk, took a deep, angry breath, and then, via his personal legs, he started north. Uh, Will um, no, funny. hold on. Hold on. Hold on. There, there's, there's a lot of really <laughs> great stuff. There's the gub, the nearest all-purpose super shopping redemption center. The lattice work gun stinging insect. Um, but I think one of don't forget my got Molly's
0: shortcut head.
1: But <laughs> And don't forget. Oh, hold on, hold on. I'm doing it. Ah, yes, I really like this this part in the book. Why did you hand me this coin? The cop asked. As a tip, Joe said, and at the same time felt his head burst as the laser beam on stun hit him directly between the eyes. right? I, I That's think ridiculous. there's <laughs> I, I love the idea that he's like, why did you give me this coin? Uh, as a boom? <laughs> I just have the image. To me, it's that
0: image of the uh, the hippie putting the flower into the gun of the uh, of the cop or the soldier, whatever it is. And then the, just the gun going off and hitting her right between the eyes. Yeah. That is, that's the parallel for me.
2: Oh, uh,
1: yeah. There's, 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 and I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> I cracked up
2: throughout this book. I thought it was one of his, his funniest books since the man who Japed*. maybe. Oh, and I
1: wasn't screaming in anger, I was laughing. I really like a robot going, let's tackle sexual desire first, the robot said. As is well known, the most enjoyable form of sexual love is that which pertains to incest. Inasmuch (laughs) as incest is the fundamental taboo throughout the universe. So Dick was like, eventually (laughs) eventually human beings are going to have so much porn, they're just going to have to escalate taboos (laughs) until finally we're all just fucking the wall. The pinnacle, the pinnacle of
0: of sex is incest. (laughs)
1: <laughs> sorry guys i could not get through this episode and not bring that up because I was, i'm sure it wasn't meant to be funny but it was really funny oh, oh sure that was,
0: meant, was meant, meant to
1: be funny. funny you think so yeah yes well, that was meant I, to be funny. i hope that's not his real belief or, or or how about this part where the glimming goes, oh, P.S., if I'm not up by morning, notify everybody that the project has been scrubbed. Get back to your own planets as best as you can. My best to you all, G. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks for bringing me to your planet and expanding my ass.
2: um Yeah, no, I thought this book... I mean, there was just laugh-out-loud parts throughout the whole thing. Or,
1: uh, but, did you guys get this one? Between the two of them, but Glimming decidedly seemed to have the upper hand, or should I say pseudopodium? <laughs> right? No, no,
2: it, it's hilarious, and, um, certainly, um, if you were going to adapt this, you would focus on the
1: humor, I would, I would say. Wow, is that, is that your transition? The, oh well we gotta we gotta rain it first. Well yeah, hold on. I got one more. I got one more okay. I wanna I wanna get to. Here's one they're telling on Deneb for the Bivalve sad, said yes. a freeb whom we'll call A is trying to sell a glank for fifty thousand burples. <laughs> with his gobbledygook. Right.
0: And then the that, right. whole thing becomes a like a vaudevillian sketch there with the, yeah. Well yeah, that's great. What is a such and such? Yeah, that's great. What is a such and such?
2: <laughs> no, no, and no, I did I did appreciate because we've always said how much uh, PKD's humor is underrated. And I think I think one of the reasons why he might not be particularly fond of this book in retrospect, but I am fond of it is because I think he kind of
0: just like, put his tongue in his cheek and... Yeah, it's got some good jokes. I just wish there was a good book around the jokes. Well,
2: okay, sir. Um, that That's, like, your opinion, man. But, uh... <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, on that note, um, I did enjoy Galactic Pot Healer, but I didn't, like... It didn't knock my socks off so I'm still I'm gonna give it um, uh, three and a half um, uh, dream time, time clicks, three and a half uh, dream time uh, ads out of five.
1: And Anthony. I'm going to give it four glanks out of five. This is one of the few PKD books. A lot of the humor that you guys tend to like doesn't really jive with me as much. And I'm always like, "Mm, that seems like a dad joke. Uh, But this this book, I laughed out loud so many times. I, I think it's fun. I think it's weird when it needs to be weird. And I almost like it more when Dick is kind of really shooting for the hip with these wild ideas versus trying to, meticulously plot out a very like thought provoking story about what it means to be human. And uh pretty sure he's never meticulously thought out anything. But well I think to him he has. <laughs> I think I think the man in the high castle I think he probably thought was very meticulously done. Um Oof. You know, when you're referencing the E. Chang to move stuff forward. Uh, But I just think that this was PKD having a blast, and I had a blast along with him. Is there there a lot of good characterization in this book? Not really, but I would argue that this is more of a book based on an idea than, like, strong characters. And I, I really, as much as we have been bagging on Joe Fernwright, Joe Fernwright and I share the same life fears, which is dying having done nothing worthwhile and working in a cubicle. So so all that stuff about not wanting to go back to your your planet to just sit there and like live out the rest of your banal life, I was there. I felt and it actively working to go back to your dull life at the same time. Oh my god. You're, you're dude, he does it be, be both. He does both. He tries to he tries to do both and he's the only one that stays when they all hightail it back to the plane. So, he at least stays and tries. Yeah, never All mind. All right, Larry, you're up. You're rating. <laughs> oh,
2: gosh, here we go. Blast shields.
0: <laughs> um, How many crumbles? Obviously, obviously, I didn't like the book. Uh, uh, I couldn't tell. It was, not, it was not a painful thing to get through, though. I mean, the first 40, 50 pages were, you know, a guy loading potatoes into a sack for me, but... <laughs>
1: It's shocking to me that that it, that was that for you. What the beginning of what was it? Uh, oh yeah. Joint was. I fully expected I you
0: to hate this book because this guy was such a piece of shit. <laughs> That's sack. Like nothing. Instead, he
2: related to him. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was unexpected. Totally. I don't know. Maybe it was the word cubicle that that sort of you off.
1: I hate it's cubicles. Like, I, I I'm notorious I gotta, for saying I hate working in an office. So yeah, my Pavlovian response to cubicles and office work is to vomit all over myself and have a seizure.
0: <laughs> but it weirdly, if, if we're saying this guy is a laborer and a cubicle worker, those two things don't really jibe in our in our current... I would
1: I would time. say he's an artist. I'm not sure I think making pots is exactly a laborer he's job. He's not a... He's not, a, doesn't he's not pots, outside of, so. like, you know, a, 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 a Home Depot being pots. like, who's ready pens? to have me build their pots? So... <laughs> He doesn't build pots. He heals them. Yeah. And isn't that just but rebuilding re-builder. it? He's a rebuilder. <laughs> he rebuilds. re-builds. Okay. Fine, Anthony. He yeah.
0: rebuilds pots. Thank you. <laughs>
2: I would like to change my rating to 3.5 Serious 5 Crumbles. So that's <laughs> All, a-
0: right. All right. All right, Larry. Give me yours. Okay. Crumbles. Uh, I'm going to give it a uh, two and a half. The half is for the humor. Um, two and a half uh, uh, underwater underwater weed corpses. Weed, dist- <laughs> uh, weed <laughs> destroy. Weed, underwater underwater weed, weed picking degrees. Underwater torches degrees. Yeah, that's what I'm giving it.
2: Two and a half underwater torches. Uh, <laughs> underwater torches. Uh, all right, underwater so black cathedrals. So for once, Anthony has the highest rating. Nice. Yeah. Nice. No, and because we tied at the full stars on Three Stigmata, so that didn't right. work. Okay. Um all right. So um if you were going to adapt the Galactic Pot Healer into a film, how would you do it? Who would you hire? What are your thoughts? Anybody.
0: <laughs> you go, David.
2: Uh, okay, well, I actually did not think very much about this, but I would definitely um, focus on the humor. Um, if I did the script, I would probably last longer on Earth. I might actually do some, I might have him heal a pot, actually. Um, I don't know why that's important to me, but it's apparently important. Because he to doesn't
0: do it in the whole book?
2: Yeah, it's on the fucking spine. He's a galactic pie healer, and he, he breaks
0: one and makes one. That's it. Yeah. Um,
2: and what I would do is that once it gets to the mayor Nordstrom, it just um uh, make it partially animated and just insane. I would just and I would just totally focus on the humor if I was working on a screenplay based on galactic pie healer. As far as direction. Director, um, ideally, um, this uh, Terry Gilliam-ish or some kind of
0: Monty Python. um. Well, you better hurry. They're almost all dead now. No, actually, only two of them are dead.
2: Or, um, you know, what might be interesting is because I can hire anybody I want with this fantasy. So how about the, um, the dudes who did Palm Springs last year? All right. How about that? I don't know who that is, but uh, I will tell you in a moment. But um, Anthony,
1: uh, so I actually would love to see uh, an animated version of Galactic Pot Healer. It could be a series, like a like a five episode miniseries or something. But I'd love to, s- or or just like an, an like an hour and a half animated movie. Um, I would love to see Justin Rowland and Dan Harmon do it. <laughs> it, because I think that they would totally understand how to punch up the humor and make all those. Cause we're, we we did not even oh, talk the heat about vision all guys. The, yeah. The heat vision. Well, also, well, Justin Roland and Dan Harmon are, are Rick and Morty. Okay. But Dan Harmon and uh, was it Rob, Sh- Rob, Shrub, Rob like, Yeah. Those are the heat vision and Jack scud, the disposable assassin team. So, so Dan Harmon's in both. Um, But yes,
2: I I want to change back to the heat vision guy. That's who I want.
1: Yeah. Yeah, So, so I would, I would, yeah, I would like either Rob and Dan or Dan or Dan and Justin, or I would do, uh, uh, if somebody wanted to do a movie version, I actually wouldn't mind Mike judge doing it. I think you have to get somebody who can do the humor and all of those guys to me can do the humor. Let's say Mike judge script by doc hammer and Jackson public from the tick and the Venture brothers. Um, Yeah, I thought a lot about this, you guys, and I, I think it really lives and breathes as an animated thing. But you can get any one of those guys to do it as an animated thing, and I think it would be really cool. Or Matt Groening, Matt Groening, Matt Groening. Either way. Either way. <laughs> either way. Um, that would be my pitch for it. Wow. I'd be really pushing for an animated show or movie. Or movie. Who's your, Who's your Joe Fernwright? I have casting for that. Uh, you know, I thought about what that he's doing too. Voice
0: acting, so. <laughs>
1: Honestly, I'm going to go with if I'm if I'm doing like a, a live action movie, I want either probably like Jason Bateman or to be Joe Fernwright. Or if I wanted him to be a little bit older, I wouldn't mind uh, uh, Richard Jenkins. That'd be cool.
2: Will Forte.
1: Yeah, or Will Forte.
2: Will Forte is Joe Fernwright in Galactic Popular directed by um, Rob Schwab.
0: Rob well, Trub. Yeah, that that's it. That's what I want. That that's. That. All right. Well, first of all, I'm changing the title. It's going to be called "Oh er My gird, It's a Pot Sherd." And then, and then <laughs> I'm having uh uh, I don't care who directs it, but I want it to be like "Romancing the Stone," sort of that level of humor, like with the Danny DeVito stuff and the, you know, like. Random acts of humor. Like they, uh, I the, randomly the watched that movie last movie. year. But I want it to be an action oriented, but not in an act, but like Romancing the Stone mm-hmm. is more of a storybook action type movie where we basically ditch all the stuff on Earth, start it in the transport going to the planet, and we, we can reference Joan that. Wilder? <laughs> Sorry. In reference back to the, the, the shitty parts of Earth that they, they don't need to be seen. Everybody can picture a, a you know a bureaucratic nightmare. you don't need to see it. And then going more in depth into the planet, and like have them do some stuff. like
1: try to accomplish things. like actually actively do their jobs. Yeah, I think we need more bit. time watching them use their skills, and I yeah, need more time with this jelly that is also partially a robot. Yeah,
0: right. Oh, right. Willis. It has the steel frame or whatever. Yep. It is. Rules. My favorite <laughs> character. Personally, I I like the uh, I like Willis the best, but but yeah, I like those those other character those ancillary characters. Yeah. Like all those alien characters are really interesting. Talking about Faust and shit, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, yeah, so there would be all of the all those characters would have more, more to do, and we would see more of the job, but it would have all that crazy humor in it.
1: Honestly, overall, I don't know why Mike Judge hasn't done a PKD adaptation of one of the funnier books, but <sighs> boy can dream. I don't know. He sticks to TV, really. His movies are good, though. His movies are good. Yeah,
2: idiotic. idiocracy. was not it was a great idea. It just
1: I think it was flat. But I disagree.
2: Romancing the Stone, uh randomly watched that last year. Um and holds up Z John
0: Wilder? <laughs> yeah,
2: right. Um, <laughs> uh and Molly would
0: be the main
1: character, not Joe.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am guessing that Anthony has never seen
1: Romancing the Stone. Or I have seen Romancing the Stone. Oh, why would you? Why would you think that? I mean, Molly would. be... You realize be I have like I have like the, the 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 film. I have like the cinematic knowledge of an eighty-year-old film critic. So okay. don't come don't come for me, dog. Don't come at me. Don't yeah. come at me like that. Oh, you want to meet sorry. out in the octagon? We can. I am sorry. I I
2: uh, stereotyped me. I know. That's are Robert Zemeckis cred. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna head next to the uh, dick-like suggestions where Anthony has nothing. Okay, uh,
1: Langhorn. I did just uh, check out Weird Studies. Uh, they yeah. do, <laughs> check they out Weird Studies on Dick. So or glitching the matrix. <laughs> yeah, or glitching the matrix or. Uh, there you go. You have a dick-like suggestion this month. Put in. <laughs> Cody Goodfellows <laughs> America. I haven't recommended that yet. <laughs> yeah, that's a new one.
2: <laughs> um langhorn uh
0: what video game do you have for us today well i i'm surprised that i haven't brought this up and maybe i have brought it up i feel like i have but it's not on my list of uh dick like suggestions yet so i'm going to recommend rim World, rim or ring rim mm, what's as that in above the okay for you sports fans out there uh so RimWorld is a game where you are, it's a colony building game where you start off on a planet uh, with very little supplies and you can do one person or three people or five people. You know, uh, it depends on what you want to do with your, your starting environment. And you also get to choose what biome you you start from, like whether it's snowy or jungle, or just forest, mountains, blah, 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 all the biomes you can think of. Uh, There's all kinds of ways you can play the game. You can do a medieval feudal system where you have magic powers. You can do a dead-on future thing where you have uh, cybernetic stuff and you you perform weird surgeries on people. There's any way you want to play the game, you can play the game. And and create your own narrative basically on what you want it to be. Do you want to do you want to be the bad guys? Then you get yourself a crew of psychopaths and you just fucking kill everything. Or if you want to be like start out meek and become strong, you can do that. If you want to start out meek and continue to be meek, you can do that. It, it's totally open to your imagination. But it's and it's PKD because you know obviously you've got robots and 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 you've got this uh weird environment that's can be anything and you know it's a full-on pkd simulation (laughs) speaking of simulation theory this is just pure simulation where it can be anything you want it to be it's a great game it's very addictive and what what kind of fun it's on pc i don't know if it's on any other on any other uh, consoles or anything like that, but uh, other than that, yeah, it's a top-down colony uh, colony builder, great game.
2: Okay, so I have two. I'm gonna go short on one for sure, which is, and this book is not out yet, but you can pre-order it now, and it is John Shirley's Return to Science Fiction after. But you've read it, right? Off I okay. yeah, um, I just finished it. It's um, a science fiction novel called Stormland, and it's a cli-fi novel, and it takes place in South Carolina in the future where South Carolina is called Stormland because it is just a never-ending chain of hurricanes that hit South Carolina. And um, I don't want to give too much away, but a large part of the book is – well, who would choose to live in a place that is constantly being battered by storms? And John does really interesting things with who would t- who would decide to live in such a place? And it's it's very cyberpunky. It's very kind of um, kind of missiony, like um, like kind of men on a mission type thing too. Okay. Uh, but it, and, and John is throwing a lot of ideas about the future into this really weird and crazy setting. One of the reasons I'm going to go short on it and I'm not really talking too much about it is I'm planning on having John here on Dickheads to talk about, uh, Stormland when we get closer to release. Um, and, uh, what, what, uh, what makes it PKD? Well, um, I feel like it is kind of similar in a way to how he might handle climate, which is... If he was doing a climate change novel, the idea of setting it in a place that's just getting battered over and over and over again mm-hmm. kind of sets up this like kind of weird ear Ill- reality of it. Um, but uh, so also, just because we only got to see a little bit of PKD dealing with heat. And a warming planet. In um, I think, Game Players of Titan and Three Stigmata are the only two that he really did. And so we didn't really get to. We never really got to see what he did with climate. And I do think um, that there is a little bit of PKD influence there with Stormland. But we'll get to talk to John about it sure. when we get closer. But I also just think I think PKD fans would would dig uh, Stormland. Now the one I want to talk a little bit more about, and I did a very detailed review on my blog of this, which is former. Guest of the podcast, Norman Spinrad's anarchist classic The Void Captain's Tale um, which I uh, um, which I read recently and Void's Captain's Tale is um, I would say it's like Doom yeah Um, it's going to be known as the orgasm drive book because the (laughs) FTL in, um, in the Void's Captain's Tale is powered by orgasms And that's unfortunately going to take up a lot of the attention that the book gets because that's so bananas. But, um, the book is like the way I would describe void captain's tale is it's Dune meets summer of love and free love. And this idea of a far future space opera that takes place in a universe where, um, there's no violence. There's no, we've evolved to the point where there's not governments. There's none of these things. People just are existing to try and have experiences and have fun uh, or, or to experience things. And so the conflict comes from the fact that the, the captain of the ship wants to get to meet the person who's driving the ship with the orgasms and they, and it becomes this mission of transcendence and getting to Nirvana. There's no way to spoil this story because you kind of know where it's going all the way. But it's very, it's it's Spinrad's most beautifully written book. The prose is insane because it switches languages and goes all over the place. And the idea was to write a sci-fi book that takes place in a future where all the human knowledge is there and present. And um, and so yeah, that's the Void Captain's Tale. It's uh very good. Um. I do think the kind of wish fulfillment like orgasm drive thing that seems like like a 12-year-old boy came up with it (laughs) is the one thing that um, kind of hurts the book.
1: Really? I'm going to have to read it to be the judge of that, David. I don't see how that could hurt a book. I I think (laughs) it's just I I don't know. I I think you're downplaying this orgasm drive just a tad.
2: Well, here's the thing. I just feel like um, a more woke editor like there's just a few scenes where where Spinrad tries to like kind of explain how it works that were a little uncomfortable for me and I, I just feel like didn't work and he speaks and- of the myth of the clitoris <laughs> <laughs> so anyways um, it runs
0: purely on male orgasms because there is no such thing as a female orgasm <laughs>
2: Well, anyways, um, I do think that it, the, the book kind of suffers from that a little bit. But at the same time, I love the anarchist stuff. I love, like, the kind of free love thing. And, and I think Void's Captain's Tale is one of Spinrad's most beautifully written books. And one of the things is, and we know this about Spinrad, is that Spinrad is often reacting to and kind of protesting the tropes of the genre and much like Iron Dream is protesting the kind of fascism of the high fantasy, right. I think Void Captain's Tale is protesting the idea that by the time we get to Dune or Hyperion, that we would still have stupid wars over territory and things like that. And so I think that's a really cool thing that Spinrad was doing there because none of that shit's going on here. So interesting. Um, but yeah, so on that note, um... Are we not coming next, Anthony? What do we have coming next? Uh, well,
1: next on the Dickheads podcast. In our friends from Frolics 8, the world is run by an elite few, and what determines whether one is part of the elite isn't wealth or privilege, but brains. As children, every citizen of Earth is tested. Some are found to be super smart new men, and some are unusuals, with various psychic powers. The vast majority are Undermen, performing menial jobs in an overpopulated world. Nick Appleton is an Underman, content to go with the flow and eke out an existence as a tire re But after his son is classified as an Underman, Appleton begins to question the hierarchy. Strengthening his resolve and energizing the resistance movement is news that the great resistance leader, Thoris Provoni, is returning from a trip to the furthest reaches of space, and he's brought help. A giant, indestructible alien. So, next on the Dickheads podcast, we are diving into, divining and diving into our friends from Frolics Eight.
2: So, on that note, uh, um, keep it paranoid, folks.
0: Goodbye. Yeah, Yeah, enjoy your lives. Get your crumbles.
2: Yep. Enjoy your lives, like Larry enjoyed Galactic Pot Healer. Please
0: don't do that. All right. (laughs) Later, folks.